0: welcome everyone to the dead pair podcast i'm your host jason rambo with me as always my good friend and co-host sean alley sean how's everybody doing today uh doing good man How about yourself buddy excellent well this is uh this has been fun for sure um <laughs> boy are we learning on the job uh, you ain't kidding there's a lot to this
1: uh, podcast stuff i mean we're uh slowly but surely taking uh tips and comments from all of our listeners and uh Trying our best to get everything ironed out and improve the sound, improve the uh, the show overall, and, uh, again, having a good time doing it, so it's
0: it's not that big of a problem. Yeah, even the website's been a learning learning experience for sure. Yep. Um, which, by the way, um, everybody, please go and check out our website, www.thedeadpair.com. It's finally up and moving, and that's a work in progress in itself, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we'll be uploading all of our future podcasts there, first and then we'll be trickling those on down to uh things like soundcloud itunes google play etc and try to get that all distributed to all the the popular mediums
0: yep well sean let's move on with this episode so you need to start with gear okay a a guy wants to go shoot he shot a couple times with his buddies he's decided this is what he wants to do he sold the golf clubs he's he's ready (laughs) to get started in the sporting clays um you know, it, it's it's obviously it's the first thing when you talk about the gear that you need to go and get started. Is it's everybody's favorite thing is the gun? Oh yeah, and it can be a it can be a very difficult topic. It, it could be way more complex than it needs to be. Um, few things that I would recommend first of all is narrowing your choices down to what kind of gun.
1: Yeah, well, and even backing up further, let's say. Um, the new guy, he's already got a shotgun. Like, let's say he's a he's a hunter, so he does some rabbit hunting, he does some bird hunting, so, you know, maybe the gun that he has will work for now. You know, he might have an old 870, which is a pump gun, he, or he's got, like, an 1100 or, a, or an old bread auto or something like that to where, okay, it's not a target gun, it's not a sporting gun, but it'll get you out on the course and at least get you some time in the saddle. Um,
0: right, but I think, you know, he, we need to focus, you know, we're, we're trying to help the new guy come in and be... Not serious about the sport, but he's wanting to take it more seriously. Let's, you know, so when I say it's the type of gun, I mean, I'm narrowing it down. To me, there's only two options, and that's an over and under or an automatic.
1: You know? uh, exactly right, yeah. I mean, you you can go out there and play around with a pump gun, but as far as competing and actually shooting a lot of the true pairs that are out there nowadays, you, you could have done it maybe 15, 20 years ago with the handset traps, but these days with the automatics, everything's coming so fast. I mean you you'd really got to be quick on the gun to get a lot of these true pairs if, if you could get them at all with well, a blow pump gun.
0: And another consideration too is like, you know, we had Holly on in our, on our first episode. Uh we interviewed her at the night shoot and you know, she was saying that the, most most these guns are, are built for men, you know, and yeah. you take a lady shooter or a youth shooter, you know, a 10-year-old with a 34-inch off in his hands is not going to get it, <laughs> right?
1: No, no, and everybody's different. I mean, I'm I'm kind of what you call an ogre-sized fella. I'm, I'm 6'4", <laughs> 350 pounds, and what fits me is certainly not going to fit a 12-year-old girl that's 100 pounds and, and five 5'1". Five is that why
0: your gun looks like a barn beam with a rail mounted to the top hey, of it? Hey, don't be hating. Don't be hating. It, <laughs> it breaks clays just like the
1: rest of them do, and it misses
0: quite a few, too. Yeah. Well, it does, too. It's pretty gun. I'll give you that. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, you know, if, if you go back 20 years ago and um, you look at the, the – Guns that the pros use, I would say, just spitballing. Probably seventy five percent of them were were shooting autos. Yeah, you know that was that was my first gun. Um, well, I should say competition clay's gun. It was a eleven eighty seven sporting clay's model, and I love that gun. Still have it. Um, took it out once this past summer and shot it a few times, and boy, it was fun. But <laughs> it's not for me. I, okay, here we go. Auto versus over under if you're shooting an auto it's gonna break down okay it's got a lot of moving parts it's gonna break down for me the confidence in going to the over under you know i knew that it was going to make it through that next pair and it wasn't gonna you know an o-ring wasn't going to split or or, you know a shell wasn't going to hang up and then another thing too back back when i first got that one of my reasons was i was reloading and we're not even going to go down that slippery slope. But I was reloading, and there was a lot of shots we did over top of the water. You know, with an automatic, guess what? You're not recovering your shells. So, no, no. But that was, that was one of the little dumb reasons why I went to an under. But the main thing was confidence. Um, but, man, it's all about what you can afford.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, wow. You want to talk about money and pricing. Um, some of these guns, I mean, again, if you have a budget of, say, 1000 or $1,500, that's going to get you into an entry-level um, you know, automatic or maybe even a, an entry-level used over-under, uh, maybe like a Beretta 686, maybe a, a Browning 425 or 725 um, used used type of gun in that realm. But, you know, from there, my gosh, you can go up to, well, whatever your bank account will allow. I mean, 10000 15000 $20,000 guns, which to me three or four years ago sounded ludicrous. But now knowing the amount of rounds we put through a gun in a year – how much wear and tear there is on them. There's a reason those guns are priced that way, and that's basically the way they're built. They're built like tanks. They're built to withstand, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of rounds in their lifetime uh, without failure, uh, whereas a lot of your cheaper hunting guns are just not going to take that kind of abuse.
0: Well, we're, we're going to have a guest on here shortly that's going to walk us through that, and uh, to say he's an expert's is an understatement, but... Let's um, let's back up here for a minute. So, one of the things when somebody's looking at guns, and we've all been down through the, the vendors and vendor row, and you, we've all seen the new guy that's looking at guns, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind, so he's decided whether he's going to get an auto or an over-under, okay? But one of the first things that comes to mind, people talk about is flat rib versus high rib. Now, I know for myself, I'm only 5'10". You know, I'm... I don't have a long ET neck or anything, or I'm not real super tall. And I thought I had to go with a high-rib. I thought, man, that's the coolest gun. I, that's what I have to have. And don't get me wrong, it was a great gun as far as what it was. But man, man, did I make a mistake.
1: Well, gun fit is so important. Again, going back to what I said, I'm a way different person than you are. I actually do shoot a high-rib, I shoot a Beretta DT11, the ACS version. So it's got a, an adjustable rib that, you know, supposedly ACS stands for all clay sports. So I got it at a deal uh, from a dealer up in Michigan, and uh, I was actually settled on a Beretta 692 originally, and this one was just slightly more than that as a used gun, and I thought, well, that's probably the better buy overall. And I had to learn a little bit going from a flat rib all of my life. I've shot flat rib shotguns for hunting and stuff. Going to a, a high rib or even a medium rib is probably going to be a big adjustment for some people because – there's just certain ways, certain targets affect, are affected by the rib, you know, especially right. with the, the low-flying crossers and versus like a big high Shondell. Um And we can go into that more later. I don't want to get bogged down to, into minutiae. But it's important that you do some research when you go out there before you buy your first gun. I would highly advise anybody, if you can go to your local club, rent uh, a couple guns. Rent an auto, rent an over-under. I mean, they can be $20, 30 $40 bucks to rent one for the day. And go shoot it. You know, go have fun. See what what works for you. See what you like. Because in the end, you're the one that has to live with this and shoot it every day.
0: Right. And you know, you brought up the whole hunting gun thing. I mean, that's great for a guy who wants to go out and try. But you know, we're, we're specifically talking about sporting guns. When I said the hybrid, okay, you know, if you're in trap. That's one thing, you know, I mean... Yeah, high ribs I, are standard in trap. Right, I mean, and I've seen some of those guys, looks like, looks like they have an extension ladder bolted to the top of their gun. <laughs> right. But right. Um, I did see an advantage when I had my high rib. Um, as far as trap style targets, even even some teal targets, man, I could just mash them off their arm
1: yeah they definitely have their place for those kinds of targets
0: right but when you start engaging overhead shots incomers crossers it was just it was obvious you know i was at a little bit of a disadvantage um so i i ended up going to it, it's kind of a mid rib but it's kohler's max light sporting it's a ramp tapered rib and i just you know i'm still trying to figure it out a little bit but man i love it you know it's i i can see where an engagement on a target is much let's just say it's much easier Okay, you know, for me it worked better. You, like I said, you're you got a taller stature to you, you know, it worked for you having a high rib, but I would definitely recommend to anybody that's getting into this not to go with a high rib um unless you have some kind of a situation, you know, like you, Sean, or maybe you know, you've had a neck surgery or something where you got a fused disc or something that you can't move your head down as much to the stock. That's obviously going to be something that uh would warrant the high rib. Yeah, and I would, I
1: would agree. Most people are going to be more comfortable with the flat rib overall. There's just going to be, and if you talk to all the pros and the the, the big name shooters, I would say probably ninety percent of them are shooting flat rib guns. Yeah. But there are there are people out there shooting the mid rib and high rib guns, and it really just is specific upon what you like and how you shoot.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, if you look at the the pros that have the high rib, they they have a shooting style that kind of lends itself to that, but. The other thing is Monte Carlo stock versus a parallel comb. You know, Monte Carlo stock is not traditionally a, a sporting gun type stock. Um, mine has just a little bit of a rise to it in the back. Um, the adjustable adjustable comb is, is I think, important. Um, you know, it's real easy here. We can get into custom stocks, which... I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put that thought in your mind if you're a new shooter. You got a long way to go before you worry about that. And the other thing too, the custom stock is, you know, obviously price. It's very expensive. Yep. Um, if you're growing, if you're a youth shooter, it's not feasible. I mean, you're going to grow out of it. And no. then the other thing too is you need to make sure that, uh, hey, you know, you don't have this thing in the back of your head. Hey, I'm going to lose twenty pounds. Well, guess what? Now your gun doesn't fit.
1: Yep. And a lot of that comes to play. I mean, and and I, I would say that a very important thing to keep in mind is that no matter what you think you're going to need, you're going to find out as you shoot. And the more you shoot, you'll figure out your gun. You'll figure out how your gun points. You'll figure out where you're well and gun fit. We're coming back to gun fit here. You know, if you are off a quarter inch for some reason, like the angle you hold your gun or the way your rib rotates or any of that kind of stuff, if you're off even a quarter inch at the gun, by the time that shot gets out there 20, 30, 40 yards, right. you could be off a couple of feet. And that's why it's so important that no matter what gun you get, make sure that you get it fit for you, if not at the store that you buy it at. Go to somebody that's reputable, that can fit the gun. Make sure that it's set up correctly for your your length of pull and the way you sight the gun and the way you put your head down on the gun so that you can look straight down the barrel. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to basically shoot where you're looking at.
0: Right, exactly. So, okay, we've... Um... We've narrowed it down, you know, if you're going to shoot an automatic or an over-under. High rib versus flat rib. Monte Carlo stock versus a parallel comb. Um, You know, once you got that down, like you said, Sean, I think it's very important. Get with somebody that's reputable, that can get you fitted to that gun. I think, you know, having an adjustable stock is important. um, It's helpful. You know, if you're getting started. Um, Well, again, this is some of the things we'll we'll touch on with our guests, but... um, the next thing is screw chokes versus fixed barrels.
1: Yeah, I mean, with this game, it's a lot like playing golf and you have different clubs in your bag for different shots. You know, you've got a driver for the, the long drives. You've got a putter for on the greens. Same thing with with sporting clays um, and most other shotgun sports. You can change the chokes on your gun to fit the need at the station. Some guys are, are compulsive choke changers. We know a lot of those guys at every station, it seems like they're fiddling with their chokes. Other guys, not so much. They, they pick a choke and uh, they either have a fixed choke or they just continue to use the same set of chokes.
0: Well, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, you take a guy like Radulovic, and he is so adamant about not having chokes, about having a fixed, you know, fixed choke gun. And you take a guy like Ben Husway that, you know, he, he feels that's part of his game. Yeah. But he'll tell you he, he's won world championships when he forgot his chokes. And he's won of when he changed chokes. So, I know for me, I you know my gun came with chokes, and you know I, I primarily leave the same two in the whole time, um, unless it's something that's way way out there or like a rabbit that's you know ten yards from the from your stand, which we've had those. Yep. Um, it, I, I think it's nice to have them, but you, man.
1: Well, you can definitely it, overthink it. I mean, yeah. and, and when you're out there competing, now not so much when you're practicing. But when you're out there competing, you're really trying to focus on reading the bird correctly to know where you're going to break the bird, where your hold point is, so on and so forth. So the more variables you put in your brain, uh, I mean, let's take it a step further. We know guys that change shells on a station based oh, on yeah. what they are. So, so if you're changing shells and you're changing chokes – how, how hard are you able to focus on the actual target and you're not thinking about two or three other variables that could come into play? If you, right. if you simple it down and simplify it down and, and say, okay, I've got a set of fix, fixed chokes or I've got the chokes where I want them and I know what shells I'm going to shoot, then that's just less for your brain to process and you can kind of focus a little more clearly on the target when you're actually up there shooting.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many variables you could put into this. I mean, and we definitely don't want to confuse anyone, okay? We're, we're trying to help here which is why we're going to get to our guest here in just a second. But, um, you know, it, it's all about confidence when you're up there. There's, I, I swear, you know, it, you could take the, the best shooter in the world. If he's not confident when he's up there, he's probably going to drop a target or two. Yeah, And that's, you know, so you need to keep it in mind. Once you get your gun, get to know your gun. When I say get to know it, I mean put thousands of rounds through it um, before you go compete. Um, get to know your gun. Get to know... When you shoulder that gun, you know it's going to it's going to shoot where you're looking. That's the biggest thing. As far as the chokes go and everything else, if you are a choke changer, just try to put it all in perspective. You know, if you get up to a station, you got one target crossing you at twenty yards, and you got another one that's forty forty five yards out there. Let's not wear the threads out worrying about what chokes to use. Right. You know, I mean you take a guy like Bill McGuire that's never puts in anything tighter than a 15, which is a light modified, yep. you know I mean? And then look at the targets that that guy engages at the level he engages them. So, and then you take a guy like Radulovich that's, you know, it's basically got a, a thimble hole at the end of his gun. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's, it's all a matter of preference. It's what you're confident in. Just make sure if you're going to buy a gun that has screw chokes, you know, don't get carried away at the pattern plate. I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you need to be, I think you need to find the chokes so that you think works best for you. You know, go ahead. If you're going to use aftermarket chokes, maybe shoot a couple of times at a pattern plate, but let's not, we, we don't shoot pattern plates. We, we shoot targets, right, right? right? So let's go out and, and see what works best for you and. And maybe carry a couple options with you, and it's, let's go have some fun and bust some clothes.
1: Yeah, and I think overall the, the best benefit you can have, just like you said, shooting your gun as much as possible is going to lead itself to uh, much more confidence, much more knowledge of your gun and how it shoots, and that alone, just the more rounds you can run down that barrel, and good rounds, not just blasting, but the more rounds you can shoot at targets makes you learn your gun, makes you more confident, and no matter what chokes in your gun, I mean, there's guys that can hit stuff with a full choke or, or a skeet choke uh, just about any any distance out on the field. Obviously, some lend themselves to different types of targets better than others. But knowing your gun, and actually, I would say most most pros and uh, most people that are very much into the sport will tell you, if you get a new gun, it's probably going to take you anywhere from six months to a year to get really comfortable with it, to where it's like an extension of your body.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, you know, I just switched my gun over here back in September. Going from a high rib to a mid-rib and or a ramp-tapered rib. And I've, I've probably put 1,500, 1,800 rounds to it, and I'm still learning that gun. I mean, it's going to take a while. Yep. It feels very good. When I shoulder it, it's, it's pointing right where I'm looking, but it's just it's, it's totally different. Yeah, you, you just know? want
1: to make it an extension of yourself. I mean, just like it's a body part, another arm, another right. another leg or whatever. You want it that comfortable.
0: For sure. Well, let's, Sean, let's get our guest on here. Um, I think he's going to be able to answer these questions with a little bit more, uh, authority. technical background and authority <laughs> yeah. than what I have. So, right. but, um, you know, that's, that's what we're all about. It's, we're not, our opinions are kind of like spent shotgun holes. You know, we, our focus here on, on, uh, the dead pair is to get guests on that are experts in their field and, and let's get their opinions on some things. So, Without further ado, Sean, let's get on to our guest. All right, here we are. This is a man that absolutely needs no introduction, but for those that have been living under a rock, we have Jim Eister of Heritage Gunsmiths. Jim, how are you doing? Good,
2: how are you guys?
0: Doing real good. Jim, for the people that uh, that did just crawl out from underneath that rock, if you would tell us real quick, how long have you been doing your gunsmithing business?
2: Uh, well uh my it's it's a family business as you know my dad's had a originally started it back in the early 50s and so the shop's been going continually through then of course uh as uh uh, my brothers and I were raised up we were raised as free slave slave laborers in the shop right (laughs) and when uh you know when i got old enough i was interested in graphic arts so went off to school and went off to florida for 10 years and eventually came back so i've been back at the shop for about 25 years now
0: wow well we're trying to help out the new guy you know we're we're trying to get more people involved in sporting clays um i know you your main focus pretty much is trap skeet and sporting guns um We've kind of narrowed it down for Sporting Clays to either an automatic or an over-under. Can you, for the new guy, you know, he's probably going to be looking at a used gun. If it's if it's something that retailed pretty expensive to begin with, he's probably going to be looking at a used one. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start with automatics. Those those There's nothing wrong with those guns. I mean, a lot of us started with automatics. And like I was telling Sean, 15 to 20 years ago, the majority of the, the pro shooters had automatics. So if a guy's yeah. going out and he's gonna buy either a new or used auto, can you give us some pointers, some things he should look for?
2: Well, um probably by the best one that that they can afford. And by best, what you're looking at is there are a lot of them out there. They've been out there for a long time. Uh if if they break you can get parts within a day um and all of them will break you know any a gun's a mechanical device they all will break at some time no matter how good they are right so getting service on them so so that's what you want to look at a a lot of the um lesser expensive guns um uh especially the autos uh we we've got a little youth program here, and you know we have tried we've looked at the cheaper autos, um, if they're just not going to hold up for for competition. Um, if you're shooting a box of shells a year, two boxes of shells a year, going out pheasant hunting, and um, you know you buy the, the cheapest gun you can get out of Turkey, um, you know it, it's it's going to break. Sure. Um, and and you're not going to be able to get parts for it. You know, you're it, it's it's Friday and you're in a three day three day shoot and it breaks, you're done. Right. You know, whereas if that were were uh, a a name brand, um, you know, it, it might be harder to get parts on the weekend, but but still, your your probability is a lot higher with something like that.
0: Right. Well, we're know. we're trying to help people. I mean, it seems like the staple anymore for for sporting autos is the Beretta A400. Yeah. Would yeah. you I, would you say that there is another one that's comparable to that?
2: Uh any any, any of the any of the Berettas, the older Berettas, um 391s uh,
0: and
2: Yeah, the 391s, the 390s you know, a lot of the parts are interchangeable between the 390s and the old 301s, 302s, 303s. I've got an old, um, three, I forget whether it's a 302 or 303 at the shop, and we use that every year with the kids. Oh, wow. um, so so those things just just keep on, keep on going. Uh, parts are still available for them. I don't know about from Beretta, but you can get on eBay and find parts for them. So yeah, any, any of the, any of the Berettas are good. Um, the, um, the 1100s are, are good. The, the old 1100s, I like them a little bit better than the 1187s, but uh, they're, they're heavier, you know, uh, Right. Uh, and, um, but, but the good thing about the 1100s is you can go online on eBay and, you know, we see this for the kids. There's parts all over the place now of course you know we don't know what's happening with with remington right now there's a lot of questions about that but um you you can you can build a gun from nothing with the remingtons just because there's so much so much there i had a guy he just had a whole closet full of remingtons and he would just shoot the heck out of them and a lot of times he shot them so much he'd crack the receivers and just grab another receiver and throw a gun together
1: that's a lot of rounds Um, that's a lot of rounds through a gun Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the Remington's are good. I think, uh, with the, with the, if, if you're looking at the newer guns, um, you know, the Browning Winchester, Browning Winchester is pretty much the same gun. Um, uh, there's, there's slight differences between them. Uh, but, but that would be, that would be a second in my mind to the bread of They're good guns. Um, but you know, it's, it's a difference between, you know, 98% reliable and, you know, 92% reliable. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, making up numbers. But So, so what, um, are the, the,
1: what are some of the things that people need to look for that are going to break on an auto like that? Um, either the Berettas or the Remingtons? Uh,
2: the the newer Berettas, I, I don't know so much. I haven't seen a, a, a lot break, but if you're looking at an older one, um, a, um, the, the battery spring and battery tube, uh, and, and uh, the, um, the follower in there, a lot of times if you're having cycling problems, you know, it's, uh, and that, this is true for the, the, Browning Winchesters too. Um, you know, it's good just to replace that whole, whole mechanism. That's a lot of problems that, uh, when, when you tend to have, have cycling issues. Also, um, you know, some of the older, uh, Berettas would break the forks. That's the part of the bolt uh, where, where the bolt joins the, uh, battery spring, uh, and they, and their aftermarket titanium forks for those, um, uh, there were, uh, so, so those are, those are the, uh, main issues with those, the Brownians, some of the Brownings, uh, they, uh, they, they have a bolt issue there. They, they, in the beginning, they made the bolt out of one piece, but it was probably too expensive. So they made it in two pieces and pinned it together. That pin will break uh, a lot on, on the older Brownings and Winchesters. I used to replace it with the old style bolt, but those bolts are gone. So, um,
0: yeah, I also, know with my 1187, I remember, you know, anytime I was going on an outing, the two things I had to have in my bag with me was uh, one of the little charging handles. Cause those things would fly off. Yeah. And then yeah. of course a backup O-ring. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Also on the autos, um, lubrication is real important. You know, a lot of guys want to use grease or a dry lube in there, you know, um, that's a piston in there just, just like the engine of a car use, use a light oil, and um don't be afraid to use a a a lot of oil i mean if um if you use if you use a lot of oil it'll eventually soak your soak into your wood and you know make that ugly and over a long long time it'll it'll um it'll deteriorate your wood but but they need to be they need to be lubricated and as long as you're cleaning it it's it's not a big deal and what you want to look for with the lubricant is you don't need any sort of a rust inhibitor in there. You want the the lightest oil that you can put in there, and something that maintains its viscosity at a low temperature. You don't want something that gets real uh, gets thicker as it gets colder. Right. Um, and th- there's several out there. What what we use is. I think it's a 3M product. You can, you can get it anywhere. You can get it on, uh, like, like it's mostly industrial supplies, what I should say, like, like Granger, but I think it's on, um, Amazon. It's, uh, called LPS number one, and it's just a, a really light oil. And, um, you know, a lot of times someone will come in with cycling problem and all you do is, is clean out the gun and, And, of course, put some LPS in there and it runs fine.
0: Right. I know you had told me that to stay away from the gun scrubber, you know, it it takes the the oil out of the pores of the steel and to clean with oil. Now, Jim, I'm fortunate enough that you're my neighbor, more or less. You know, I I mean, I got a world-class gunsmith in my backyard, but for annual service and we'll get to the over-unders in a second but for an annual service for the automatics what do you recommend i mean is there like a a shell count number you know can the guy run 20,000 rounds 10,000 rounds before he needs to come in and see you
2: yeah just as as long as they're running they're you know they're they're fine you know an auto um i'm trying to think of an, an analogy for it you know it's it's you know it as long as they're, they're going, they're fine. and if you keep them, keep them cleaned and, and lubricated, uh, they'll be good. And, and when you see problems, it' you know you'll, you'll have a uh, shell hang up. It, some, something is hindering the energy from that as that shell is spent. Something's hindering that energy to be allow, allowed to pull, put the bolt all the way back. To, uh to where it pulls the next shell out of the out of the uh, magazine and allows the carrier to put it up and the bolt go all the way forward in battery and and that's that's the only thing i don't see firing pin issues or mainspring issues very often at all in the autos right if, if you, you see something wrong it's mostly in the battery spring system or the thing's just dirty and needs lubricated
0: Okay. One more question about the auto. And I don't want to get into, you know, shell shotgun shell technology. We could wrap up 15 episodes on that alone, mm-hmm. but, um, one of the great things about an auto is you can shoot a heavier shell, an ounce and an eighth load or a faster load and not have that felt recoil. However, so my question to you is, you know, um, one of our friends, she just went to an auto. She just had sol- shoulder surgery here recently And she's shooting one ounce loads and she still felt that even though they were in her auto, they were a little snappy. If somebody wanted to shoot a lighter, like a seven, eight ounce load, is there something you can do with the, with the spring to where it can handle that load and not get hung up, still ejected? Okay. Yeah.
2: um, And it's just, it's just kind of testing and see, see what happens. You know, you, you can start taking um, um, a few coils off of that spring at a time, just to allow the that seven eighths ounce load to be able to push it all the way back.
0: Right. So, there,
2: and the worst, you know, the the worst case scenario, you know, you've ruined a twenty dollar spring. Right. So, so yeah, you can just take a couple coils off that at a time and see. You know, the issue is, and and really, there's no reason to shoot uh, heavy loads, but the, but also um, over time, if you go back to heavy loads, you want to put a heavy uh, a factory spring back in there because you don't want that bolt slamming real hard on the, on the back of the receiver like that. So right. um, you you'd want to go back and take care of that.
0: Well, I'm, I know her situation is a little unique with her shoulder surgery, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about the little guy out there, you know, eight, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, maybe a little smaller in stature than most kids, you know, we want him to go out and have fun and break some clays too. So.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you can most, um, we set up, I, I try and get the little ones, you know, I, I normally at the shooting club take the fifth grade and, and under, and I try and get them into a 12-gauge semi as soon as I can. You know, you can get a 65-pound, you know, fourth-grade girl in, into a 12-gauge semi if it's fit right for, and those, uh, you know, one-ounce loads, you know, they take those all day. The big deal is that they're strong enough to safely handle the gun but you can th- those little ones man they they get strong fast yeah. you can you can take a, a, a little girl who can who can barely hold it up for three shots and you you have her do gun mounts and you know in a in um you know a month and a half they, they can do a 200 bird event um now they're going to be wasted at the end of that 200 bird event <laughs> but but you know they'll they'll be able to to do it it's it's wild how fast those kids get strong.
1: Yeah. Well, Jim, I, I can speak from experience. My first auto was a a Beretta 302. I bought back in the early nineties from uh, from Carl Joseph's shop here in New Albany. Um, Oh yeah. Still have that gun. Great gun. Haven't really had any major issues with it. However, you know, at some point people want to move into something. um, I I know the Beretta or the, uh, the automatics are a little bit more affordable for most shooters, but so the next step would be somebody that wants to go with an over under because of obviously uh, more mechanically simple, more reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of guns should they be looking at? Again, modest budget, maybe, maybe around $2,000 at the top or $2,500 mm-hmm. at the tops. What kind of guns should somebody be looking at if they're looking for an over-under?
2: I would I would say the place to start with the over-unders are the uh, Brownings and the uh, Berettas. Um the uh brownings any anything satori related uh and you know you can pick those up uh used a lot of times for around a you know around a thousand bucks um the the shorter barrels go a little bit cheaper you know if it's a if it's a a small a a smaller individual you know a 28 inch barrel is fine but most people are going to want to you know, around a 30 inch barrel and the, and the target guns tend to go a little bit more than the, the field guns. But the, the good thing about the, the Brownings is is they're, they're pretty bulletproof. You know, they'll need, um, especially with some of the primary issues now, they'll need uh, firing pins and mainsprings, uh, you know, about every year. Uh, but if you can do that yourself... Um, stick those things in there, you know, that's 30, 35 bucks a a year maintenance. And, you know, just, and they'll be fine until they need a locking block, which is, uh, which is a long way down the road. So, so, and, and also the thing about the brownies is everyone has parts for those, Uh, you know, everybody online has parts for those. Um, I would guess probably within a, a 30 mile radius of my shop, I can find you know, at least two other people that, that have parts for, for those guns. And one thing you look for when you look for a, a gun, you look for the lineage of that gun. Where, you know, where did that gun come from? And you look at the Brownings, and, uh, you know, that was one of the original successful over-unders with, with the super pose that, that was made in Belgium. And then, um, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, they needed to make it cheaper, uh, so they pretty much just went to Japan and started uh, with Moroku uh, and, uh, and and started making the Satori. And that thing's, like I said, uh, some of the earlier versions were a lot different. And, and now they're starting to change things like receiver shapes. And, and 725, the trigger's a little bit different. But for about 50 years, that gun's been just slowly slowly refined and that's what you look for in in a gun a gun that's been out there for a long time and just refined over time we were talking about the beretta autos same thing about the the beretta autos you know it's this it's just little changes over time to make it better and better and and some of those changes are to make it cheaper to manufacture too but um those are the guns you look for the guns that have been around a long time and again i don't I would probably, on the Browning, stay away from the uh, synergy. Um, also, uh, the Beretta over-unders are affordable. the uh, The six eighties, uh, any of that series, is affordable. Um, the um, personally, I like those better than than the newer Berettas. But a lot of people say the newer Berettas, the six the six ninety Twos are good. There I think I think the 690 when they first came out, they had some issues with that with the extractors. Um they may have solved that now, but I would I would move towards I think the 692 is the latest one. I I'm not sure. I don't I don't know exactly. Um but but the berettas you can find those use all day. They're uh relatively easy to fix if something goes wrong. Those are the two guns I would look for if if someone, I don't know if I'm, I'm not thinking of one, but those are the two guns I would, I would look at if someone were starting out. And like I said, you can find those used for around a thousand. Um, you can the Satori's well, and I I think the six eighties too, you can, you can get them new for around two thousand too. So,
0: you know, that was, that brings up something else too, Jim, That we had discussed earlier was gun fit. Um, you know i came to you the first time i was ever fitted and man what a difference it made you know um i can remember shooting a couple of hundred bird courses with my buddies on the weekends just playing around and my shoulder be black and blue and and let's clarify i love meat okay i don't bruise easily (laughs) so but um i remember i came to you and you're like oh wow yeah you know you cut down the length of pull and and you got me set up and man oh man did it make a difference um Gun fitting, I think, is something that's important regardless of which gun you go to. Am I correct?
2: Uh, yeah, that's in fact, that's after you buy the gun, that's probably the most important thing is, is that you can get that gun in your shoulder and you can get over it comfortably. And some of that is learned with, with a new shooter. You know, they, they, uh, mounting a gun isn't a natural thing, but it needs to become natural. And, uh, but, but if they can't, if they have if the gun's too long, they have to shoot, shoot across their body, you know, they, they can't get, you know, not completely squared of the target, but more squared up to the, uh, the, the, target where, um, where it's out on their deltoid, where it's hammering in, in their deltoid or where maybe it's, it's, um, recoiling on the toe. Uh, and not evenly through the through the whole recoil pad, you know. Those are things. It you know it shouldn't hurt them to shoot. Uh, that's an issue with some younger shooters, especially I'd say, you know, s- sixth grade or like ninth grade. You know, where where they're growing, you know, two inches over the summer, right. And um, what what worked fine in the springtime, all of a sudden is is, is bruising them. And that can be a challenge. I know I went through that with, with my own kids, and we go through that with the kids in the, in the shooting club. You know, sometimes you're just fighting things all the time. But, but yeah, gun fit is probably after you've, you've got the gun. That's, that's the most important thing.
1: Okay. And then after the person gets their gun, they get it fit and everything, what kind of maintenance do you recommend on an over-under you know, versus an automatic? What kind of things should they be looking at? What kind of things should they be cleaning? What, what, what is the focus of taking care of an over-under properly?
2: Uh, a, a, an over or under. Um, uh, you, you just need to uh, with a, a, a bronze or brass brush, never a steel brush or even a stainless steel brush, and either a wooden or a um, aluminum rod. Uh, you, f- first you want to put a, a, a mild cleaner in there. Uh, w- we use nothing but the old hoppies number nine and you can you can put that in there either right on the brush and let it sit a little bit hoppies number nine won't take things out as quick as some of the newer ones but you have to be careful if you knew use some of the newer aggressive gun cleaners you better make sure you get them out of your barrel we've seen pitting and things like that now the beretta over and under is their chrome lined. um you're you're probably nothing probably going to attack that chrome so so you get a you know run your brush in there a couple times and then get it um, you know get that in there to where can can attack any powder residue then um, then all you need to do you don't need any special patches just run uh, a a tear a paper towel in half and run it up through there and clean it out if it's not chrome lined You can put a little film of oil in there. As long as where you're storing it's dry, you probably don't even have to do that. You wanna pull your choke tubes out. Um, Right where your choke tubes connect into your barrel, that'll build up with carbon. Uh, You wanna get that carbon out of there. Eventually you can blow a choke tube if that carbon builds up. Uh, Mostly thin walls will tend to do that more than most factory chokes. And when you put that choke tube back in, you need to put grease on it, not oil grease, because you want to form a seal in there to where when, when that shock column is going up through there, that the gases can't get in into the threads there. And if, if there's something as marginal in, in there, the, the gas could, could push the – it the choke away from the barrel wall and you could blow a choke that way too. It's rare, but it could happen and grease will help prevent that on the over unders. What I tell people to do is, is to take a little grease with them when they go to the range, you want to put just a little drop of grease on the, on the hinge pin, any of the mating surfaces where the barrel go, go, goes into the receiver. You don't want to grease or lubricate the monoblock. Um, that's meant to be a dry fit. And if you grease it and the fit of your monoblock is marginal, it can come open when you, when you shoot. It's, it's not dangerous. It's just disconcerting that the gun goes off and, and flips open. So mm-hmm. you don't want to grease on, on the monoblock. And then when you're done shooting, you just, you want to wipe all that grease off and every, every time. So every time you're shooting, you're re-greasing. The reason you want to do that is debris can get in there. And if you don't change that grease, every time you could score those surfaces, you've, you've seen guns where the inside of the receiver is scored or the outside or the, the barrel on the monoblock where it fits in the receiver or the hinge pin is scored. That's where, um, uh, Something something got in there. Something shaved off and got between those surfaces and just ground and ground and ground. Um, then really, um, that's about it on the over unders. You don't really have to pull the stock and, and lubricate anything more than you know maybe once a year. I mean, we see some of the brownings. They uh, uh, they're they're dry and they they work fine. I mean, you can. If you want to, you can put a little oil in there, pull the stock. Uh, on, on the brownings and on any over-under, you really need to get that stock on well. If it comes loose, it'll break. And after you've had the stock off, if you choose to do that, you know, after about 100 rounds, you need to check that stock bolt again. Because, again, if it comes, if it comes loose, you're going to crack or break your butt stock. So gotcha. uh, you need to be careful about that.
1: Well, I have one more question, particularly for my gun. I uh, Last time I saw you was about two years ago. I had that 687. You helped me get that fit, and uh, that was a great little gun. I had the chance to upgrade, and I went to a DT-11. I found a used one off of uh, a dealer up in Michigan. Now, here's my question, and I've never had this problem before with other guns, or at least it hasn't been as bad. I deal with plastic fouling all the time, and it doesn't seem to matter what shells I shoot or what brand. That DT-11 just – it just – builds up with plastic inside and I have the darndest time getting that stuff out of there. Do you have any tricks or tips to try to make that a little bit easier? Is it just all elbow grease and going at it? (laughs) Yeah, you can't, you can,
2: um, as long as you're using a a brass or bronze brush and, and like a wooden dowel or something like that, you can put that on a drill and really work, work that forcing cone hard. You can put some, uh, uh, Something in there, and, and and soak it for a little while, and then and then uh, really really work that area area hard with, with the brush. That's that's about the only way you're going to get get that out of there. Gotcha. Again, like I said, there's some solvents that'll do it. Um, I think your DT11 is probably chrome lined, uh, so uh, I, you know you, uh, I'd still get all that solvent out, but I, I don't think it's going to attack the steel in there uh with, with the chrome lining in there. So gotcha. Um so yeah, just be aggressive with a with a brass or bronze brush and again, never steal.
1: Okay. All right. Well that's what I've been doing. I just want to make sure I could see if there's a cheap way or easy way to save my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, there you
0: go. Well Jim, this has been awesome, man. I think we've we've got some good information out here for people to get started. Um if they have a maintenance issue or maybe they need some barrel work done or something, can you give everybody your website, maybe a phone number where they can get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, the website is uh, simply uh, jim at gymeister.com. Oh I'm sorry, it's uh jim com. Jim at jim com is is the email and it's um, J-I-M-E-Y-S-T-E-R. Um, the, the phone number to the shop is, uh, seven, four, zero, six, two, five, six, one, three, one, uh, probably calling is, is the best way. Um, and, uh, if, if I can, not normally there's, if sometimes I'm the only one at the shop, but, uh, if, if I'm not there, someone else may answer. And if I'm busy, they'll take a message and I'll get back to you, um, within a day or two. Um, if you email me, it, it might take longer if I'm real busy. Um, uh, emails kind of tough some, some days because I feel like I got to write three pages. So, uh, <laughs>
0: but,
2: but
1: it probably calling is, is best and emails second best.
0: Got awesome. You. Jim, thank you very much, man. We really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for visiting us on the dead pair. We really no. appreciate your input.
2: Yeah, no problem guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks Jim. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye.
0: So, you know, Sean, a a friend of ours, um, I I don't want to say his name, I don't want to pick on him, but uh, he ran out and bought one of these. Okay, here we go. It's a $500 gun over under that he bought from Cabela's. And I told him, I said, you know, I I really wish you would have talked to me before you went and did that. He's like, why is that? And I said, well, you know, I'm no expert on guns, but you just bought a gun that when it breaks – or something goes wrong with it, you throw it in the trash can. You know, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, first of all, you can't get parts for that thing. They have to be custom made. Okay? And second of all, if you would have just hold, held on and saved your money, you know, back when I was going from the auto to the over-under, I really couldn't – I I could afford it, but I couldn't afford it, and I ended up – you were with me, I think, Sean. Yep. Um We went to a local gun shop here that had the gun I wanted, and they had six months, same as cash, financing now i don't recommend anybody go out and get a big loan for a gun that's not my point but um it was an option for me and i'm glad i did it because i ended up with a good reliable over under and you know here he's got this thing that you know it was money spent in the wrong direction the gun doesn't fit him it kicks the crap out of him you know um it's not going to hold up to the volume of shooting that, that you're going to do when you're shooting sporting clothes you know if you say, well, I'm only going to shoot, you know, five tournaments this year, it's only 500 rounds. Well, if you're doing this correctly, you should be putting in three to four times the amount of practice rounds that you are, you know, shotgun shells that you are at a tournament. So, Yeah,
1: and if I can make a point, I mean, put it in this light. <laughs> so you got a guy that wants to buy a lawnmower, okay, and there's a big price difference between what you're going to go buy at a big box store like a, like a Home Depot or a Lowe's you know, a Troy built or a snapper or maybe not snapper, but you know, one of the, one of the, the black and decker type, uh, mowers that they have at all those places versus going and buying like a Kubota or a John Deere or something like that. Because the reason you buy a Kubota or a John Deere is that 10 years, 20 years down the road, they're probably still going to make parts for that mower that you can go get in case something breaks. All right. The cheaper, the cheaper, uh, riding tractors and stuff like that, they're basically throwaway items. You, you use them for you know, three, four, five years, and then they start breaking and things start going wrong on them. And then you're thrown away. Well, the same thing with that shotgun. So, yes, if you don't have the money, you know, obviously get whatever you can afford. We're not trying to tell you that you have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But if you can hold off and wait, the gun you buy for maybe 1200 or 1500 bucks could last you the rest of your life if you take care of it versus spending five or $600 on a cheaper gun, Only to find out that, you know, after three or four years of shooting, you're basically going to have to throw it in the trash and go buy something else. So, it's your choice. You know, spend it now or spend it later.
0: Right. Well, and another thing, too, is maintenance on your gun. You know, all all these guns come with manuals, you know, and if you're like me, you you take something new out of the box, the manual is just something you throw in a trash can. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But if uh, if you take the time to read it, it tells you where every single good lubrication, well, not good, but necessary lubrication point is on the gun what kind of oil to, or grease to use and that was something that you know jim Meister told me a long time ago is man just quit using gun scrubber and i'm like what do you mean he said you know the the metal is porous and that oil will actually soak into those pores and if you're using gun scrubber you're taking that out every time and i said okay how am i he said you clean with oil and there are really good oils out there. And, and, look, this show is not sponsored by anybody. I'll tell you right now, I use Q-Max, and I absolutely love their products. Um, you know, I use a really good grease. I stack, stuck with the same exact grease that came with the gun. Um, it's really good grease. It's one of the best ones out there. Making sure, if you do have screw-in chokes, making sure you take them out every, I'd say every two 300 rounds, you know, when you're done shooting for a day. Take them out, get them clean, get the threads clean. Make sure you put good choke tube grease back on them, get them back in. Um, swabbing the barrels, that's important. Um, yeah, you know, especially
1: with the plastic fouling. I mean, I, I know that my DT-11 has probably been the worst gun as far as plastic fouling goes, and it really doesn't matter what shell. I mean, I've had all kinds of other shotguns, and I've never had the issue with the plastic fouling, and it, it really is a bear to get it scrubbed out of the barrel at times.
0: Yeah, getting that brass brush down through there with the with the proper oil on it and— um, Getting it swab back out—that's important, you know. But there's, <laughs> here we go again. You know, between automatics and over unders, there's so many different lubrication points. But it's important that you keep your gun clean, keep it, keep it oiled, keep it greased. I mean, it's just look—it's no different than your car, right? If you it's drive your car down the road and you don't ever change the oil, that thing's not going to make it to hundred thousand miles. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it's the same thing, and and I see too many people look past that. Man, I've seen people come to the club. The outside of their gun's all shiny and clean. They open it up, and it's like, oh, my God, have you ever cleaned that thing? Yeah, yeah. You know, and then they wonder why it doesn't go off. Right. You know, why a firing pin's hanging up or something. So, I mean, use some common sense. Um Pick your favorite oil or go with something that your local gunsmith recommends. But um make sure you keep it clean. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pay dividends in the long run. Exactly. I think we gave him the basics Yep. that he needs to get started with. Um, and you know, if we have missed something, if, if somebody wants to you know, maybe give their opinion on it or whatever, we're on Facebook, um, under the dead pair podcast, uh, go to the website, the dead um, drop us a line. You can go to the website and hit the contact button, um, Shoot us an email. We we'd love to talk to people. We love getting good information out to help people.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and and also depending on where you're at in the country. I mean, obviously Jim is local to us and he's well known and respected. That's why we uh, wanted to get his opinion on on starter guns for people that are getting into the sport. But obviously, there's going to be great other uh, gunsmiths in your area and your state that you should be able to rely on. Um, right. Not everybody's going to come to Jim if they're living in Florida or Texas, um, but there are plenty of guys out there. Just do your research, talk to your gun clubs. They should be able to recommend a good a uh, gunsmith, uh, somebody that can help you and guide you along your way, help you get your gun fit, help you show you how to take care of it. And if in the eventuality something does break or you need to get it fixed, um, that's who you're going to take it to.
0: Absolutely. One little quick shout-out, Sean. I'd like to thank USA Trap Carts for being a part of this. Um, if you need a trap cart for your thrower, I don't care what what manufacturer, whether it's a ProMatic or an Atlas or a, a Mech, if you need a trap cart, a good quality high. Highly durable trap cart, visit usatrapcarts.com.
1: Absolutely. And also big thanks to Pro Sign Studio, another one of our sponsors. Uh, they make all kinds of signage needs for the clubs, uh, sponsor signs, station signs, um, directional signs, and that kind of thing. And uh, probably going to be starting to do some uh, barrel stickers and such like that for the for the podcast coming up. So everybody stay tuned for that.
0: Yeah, you just you just threw a little teaser out there. You want to tell them about t-shirts and hats coming in the near future? Yeah, we're working on some designs
1: right now for t-shirts and hats. Um, trying to get everything up off the ground. Obviously, this is a huge undertaking with all the different angles that oh, we've uh, had to go into with all the social media, the website, the just the podcast, learning how to do the podcast and mixing down the sound. Uh, we're getting better and better at it, episode by episode. And uh, but hopefully, we'll get some uh, some shirts, some hats, and some. Other swag out there that you guys can get off our website soon. Uh, just kind of be on the lookout for that as well.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm thankful that you work with computers every day because I feel like Fred Flintstone would have this technology <laughs> we deal with. But, uh, yeah, you got to be good at what you're it, good at. Right, right, exactly. Well, Sean, this is the first series, first of a series for gear. Um, we've just covered the gun. Yeah. The next one we're going to go into some some optics, some shooting glasses. We're going to have a really cool guest on. Uh, he's an eye doctor. Um, and he's going to help us out with not only prescriptions, but what to look for in a quality protective lens. Uh, we're going to discuss colors, um, frames, you name it. It's going to be very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, and we've also got a lot of other episodes coming up. We've got planned for everything from choke tubes to shooting vests to um, ear protection, uh, shotgun shells. I mean, we're going to have as much information as we can possibly get out there for the new shooter to hopefully help steer them in the right direction and not spend a ton of money the wrong way. Um, right. and that's, that's what our whole goal about this uh, podcast is.
0: Yep. Yep. You and I, you and I made those mistakes. Yeah,
1: we did it early on and boy, it would have been nice to have something like this back in the day to help, uh, not spend that money, uh, unless it was the right thing to do. <laughs> right. Right.
0: Exactly. Well, we're going to have some entertaining episodes in between here and there, but, um, We'll, we'll definitely notate it on the website that this is part of the gear series. Um, this is episode one of the gear series, the gun, and then we'll number them accordingly. Um, like I said, we've got, some, we've got some really cool guests coming on. Um, some very um, influential people of the sport. Um, it's, they're going to be entertaining, yeah. and I think somebody's gonna get, everybody's going to get a little something out of them. Yeah.
1: Looking forward to the new episodes of the Dead Pair Podcast, and we hope you all come back and join us again.
0: Thanks, Sean.